Well, good morning, everyone. Let's begin with our affirmation of this book, God's Word. Repeat after me. This is God's Word. It has God for its author. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. And let's repeat this very important line. It has God for its author. <laughs> Salvation for its end. And truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe. And how we live. Wow. Can't believe that someone would actually mess that up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is going to be fun, I can tell already. We're going to be in John chapter 14. And this morning we're going to be talking about, you know, we've been talking about the names of Jesus. And this morning, uh, a specific name of Jesus that we'll be talking about is Jesus says, I am the way. Now, that word in the Greek, hadas, is a very normal, common word, kind of like we use the word road or path. It's just a very normal way. In fact, Jesus used that word often, and he used it... uh, in his parable, you know, the sower went out to sow, and uh, some seeds fell by, fell on the pathway, on, on the roadside. That was that word, hadas. They fell on the hadas. Or Jesus talked about there's two ways. There's the, the broad and smooth hadas, right, that leads to destruction. And then there's the narrow and rougher hadas, or way, that leads to eternal life. And so we see Jesus here as the way. And it may not seem like, you know, compared to some of the other names that Jesus used of himself, you know, like bread of life, you know, or light of the world, that the way would be, you know, not quite as remarkable. But it is. And in fact, you must know Jesus as the way. If you don't know Jesus as the way, you will never enter into heaven, into paradise. So it is crucial that you know Jesus as the way. In fact, it was such an important name. Uh, You may not know this, but before Christians were called Christians, in fact, that was a disparaging name that people used of Christians. They were called Little Christs. Before they were called Christians, do you know what they were called? Yeah, followers of the way, Acts chapter 9. They were identified with the way. And this is a really a very remarkable name. And, and, and maybe this illustration that happened in my life may even show you just exactly how remarkable it is. Now, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is hiking. In fact, uh, being outdoors and nature, uh, I would rather hike a mountain trail than go to Disney World. I heard one, and then I heard a lot of laughter. So, <laughs> but that's just me. But in any case, my, my family, uh, we, we all like to do that. And we've gone out to uh, the Congaree National Swamp. How many of y'all been out there, Congaree? Well, a lot of y'all, it is a national treasure. And, uh, and we go out there all the time, but we take all the trails. There's one trail we did not take. It's called the King Snake Trail. Now, how many of y'all have taken the King Snake Trail? Very few. You know why very few have taken that trail? Because it's 12 miles long. That's why. And so I never did that with my wife and kids, but they were all out in Texas. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up in the morning, early in the morning, and I'm going to go take that king snake trail. And so I did. I was there before sunrise because they still had the gates closed. So I had to park in the primitive camping area, and thank goodness there was nobody there. That would have been awkward. 
but I go from there and I have to hike, hike all the way. And I added a mile onto the trail, but I finally got through the boardwalk and got to the King Snake Trail. And let me tell you, I just really enjoyed it. I was walking through there, back through the swamp and the forest and the cypress trees and animal life. And the trail, if you've taken it before, it goes like, you know, it goes to the boardwalk and then it does this. It goes up and back down. Kind of like, a, like the letter N. Up and back down. So I took it and up I went all the way back down. I got to the end beautiful area by the river and then I had this like brainstorm this uh, epiphany I thought you know there really is no reason to go all the way back up <laughs> it'd be much shorter just to go across like that don't that make sense that that ranks in the top 10 stupidest decisions I've ever made <laughs> top 10 by far first of all what is this place called there are no shortcuts in a swamp. You stay on the trail. There I go. So I started heading that way, and sure enough, I'm thinking, I'll just stay next to the river. I'll come by the trail. And uh, the problem is, is that the river sometimes, it just like, I don't know, it just kind of collapses, and then water comes. So I have to walk all the way around that water, all the way around that bog, and then come over. And you know what I'm thinking? Does concrete swamp have quicksand? I don't know. Dude, I could die, and no one would even know. I'm all by myself. And so I keep walking. Of course, there's snakes. I see all kinds of snakes. I didn't see that many snakes on the trail, but when you take the shortcut, I saw lots of snakes then. And what if one of those bit me? Again, who is going to help me? And so I continue walking, continue going around the bogs and the stuff like that. And then the thought occurred to me. That trail was not that big, a little tiny thing. I could walk right over it and never know it. And then all the stories about people lost in the Congaree Swamp started to come to my mind. And how stupid people said they were for getting off the trail. And here I was. Can I tell you the moment that I walked up and there was that trail. Top 10 joyous moments in my life was that one. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I really, I didn't know if I was going to die that day. I, I didn't know if I'd be wandering around Congaree Swamp. I don't even think I told my family what I was doing. I was there and nobody knew. But when I found the, the way, the path, oh, such joy. You know, the truth is that some of us are really kind of walking through a swamp, aren't we? <laughs> walking through the wilderness. And, uh, and we're just wondering, you know, if, are we ever going to find the way, the way out of this mess? Now, I think why that name is so important that Jesus is the way, because it reminds us that it's not your way. It's his way. You know, see, I had taken my way. <laughs> and my way, man, led to snakes, bogs, uh, hopelessness, concern, fear. But Jesus will allow you to do that. He'll allow you to take your way. But the encouragement I want to give you this morning is that you will take his way. 
that you will go the way of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the way, but he's the way to what? But there's a couple of things we're going to look at, okay? Jesus is the way to peace, and that Jesus is the way to paradise. But let's first look at Jesus. In John chapter 14, how he shows us he is the way to peace. Now, some of you here, you may not have peace in your heart right now. You may have anxiety. You may have worry. Then I want you to especially hear this. Jesus starts off uh, with his disciples, and this is in that upper room discourse, okay? This is an intimate time uh, where he is speaking to them, and he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he starts off this passage in John chapter 14 with the command, with, with the, uh, the word to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. So the question is, why would their heart be troubled? Well, we have to go back to John chapter 13 to look at that. And this is what he told them in John chapter 13. I mean, John chapter 13 was not the highlight reel of the disciples' life, okay? John chapter 13 starts off with this. First of all, he says, one of you, my intimate 12, my 12 friends, one of you is going to betray me. That's how it starts off. Of course, that immediate caused pandemonium among the disciples, as you can only imagine, because as far as they were all concerned, they all loved him. They all followed him. They were all loyal to him. But he told them, one of you will betray me. Then the next thing he told them was this, and I'm going away. Now, they had been with him for three and a half years. And now he's telling them, and I'm going away. And furthermore, you can't go with me. Now, these men who had been with Jesus, who... Who had, who had loved him, who had served with him, who had seen his miracles, seen his power, seen his love, and all of a sudden now he's leaving them? And we can't go with you? Now he'd been talking about his death, and I think that was on Peter's mind when Peter says, look, I'll go with you anywhere. Jesus, I am willing to die for you. And then Jesus looked at Peter, who was kind of like the leader of the 12. He was the chief speaker of the 12. He looked at him and said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny that you even know me three times. That's John chapter 13. Can you imagine why maybe they were troubled? I mean, if Peter was going to deny Jesus, what about the rest of them? And where's he going? And why can't we go with him? All of this is coming at them like a flood. And their hearts are confused and they're concerned. And they're worried about themselves and, and what's going on. So Jesus says to them, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he gives them some reasons why. Why he's the way to peace. First of all, he says, that peace comes through faith in me. He says, you believe in God, right? Believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, for the Jews to believe in Yahweh, that's how they were raised. They believed that. Every Jew would say, yes, I believe in Yahweh. The, the kicker here was that Jesus says, you believe in Yahweh, believe also in me. Now, what a claim to divinity. Just like you believe in Yahweh, believe in me. 
Now, why is that so important? Because Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father. In fact, later on in that chapter, he tells Philip, he says, look, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, the, the Jews in the, the Old Testament, they would have read some things like, like uh, that, that God is, that Yahweh is gracious uh, and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, who keeps loving kindness and truth for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And they would, have, they would have had all that and those words in their mind and those thoughts in their mind. But how to put meat and bones around that, they didn't have. But they did now in Jesus Christ. When the psalm says that, that Yahweh's love is everlasting, we see that in Jesus Christ. The love of God is made manifest in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to this earth, that was a rescue mission for you. That was a rescue mission of love for you. He did that because he wanted you, because he loved you. He left there and came here. And let's not just, we, we hear that said all the time. Let's not just kind of, you know, say, oh, yeah, 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 that, I mean, just imagine if I asked you, hey, look, uh, could you mind leaving your comfortable home and I want you to move to the garbage dump in Egypt so you can tell people there about Jesus? That doesn't sound too appealing, does it? Have you been to the garbage dump over at South Congaree or out that area over there? It don't look good. It don't smell good. I wouldn't want to live there. But let me tell you, that is nothing. The distinction between your home and that is nothing compared to this distinction of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to this sin-soaked earth. There you had the worship of the angels. There was no sin. There was no pain. Here, he suffered. He thirsted. He hungered. He got tired. He grew weary. Why? Because he loved you. That scripture, Yahweh's Love is everlasting, is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And you can have peace when you believe in him, when you put your trust and hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's no one who loves you more than he does. And no one loves you like that. So no matter what you're going through, you know the sovereign king of the universe is with you and loves you. <laughs> and so you can make it. <laughs> I... I didn't come up with this quote, but it's one that uh, I like so much I wanted to share it with you. And in fact, I don't even know where I read it. This is a paraphrase, but listen to this. I love it. The fact that you are a child of the sovereign ruler of the universe is the softest pillow upon which to lay your head. Isn't that good? I'm going to read one more time. I don't think some of you got it. The fact that you are a child of the sovereign ruler of the universe is the softest pillow upon which to lay your head. Mm. So we need to have faith in him. We also have to have faith in his promises. What did he say? Per two promises here particularly that, that are very uh, 
gracious to us, very comforting to us. The one is that he's preparing a place for us. Isn't that good? I mean, Jesus is preparing a place for me. Now, I can't imagine what that place is going to look like. And where is he preparing this place? In his father's house. That's right. In his father's house. He's preparing, uh, like, like we got our own little, uh, he, the father has this big, beautiful house. we got our own little apartment. And Jesus is getting the apartment ready. Right? And the one thing I like about it, it's in the father's house. You know, you notice it's not in his hotel. <laughs> yeah, we're not a guest. We're a child. We're there to stay. And Jesus is preparing a place for us. And then the second promise just is good as he says listen and I'm coming back I'm coming back I'm going to get you (laughs) there's one day I'm coming for you and I'm going to get you so you can be with me forever isn't that great now one of these days and I you know I'm hoping it's soon but one of these days you know the clouds are going to part trumpets going to sound the the voice of the archangel won't that be great and we will all leave here to be gathered up to him in glory. And he's going to come. He's going to take us to be with himself. But who knows? We, we may not live until that time. But he's still coming for you. Because what does the Bible say? To be absent from the body is to, to be present with the Lord. He is coming again to take us to himself. He loves us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave, leave us alone. He's coming. Now look, that is very for me, because I mean, the sufferings of this present time, right, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in that day, right? That even if I'm going through terrible suffering, the, the truth is I know that glory is coming, right? Glory like I can never even imagine. That is coming. That's my future for a little while? No, all eternity, right? That's what's coming. And so I can make it through this because I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus who I believe. I'm going to keep my eyes on the glory that he has for me. And so I can make it through that. But here's the truth. The fact is that when we talk about eternity, we talk about possible death, uh, Jesus' return, that is not comforting for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't ready. A lot of people are like, I hope I'm okay. I think I'm okay. Oh, man, I really, really, I mean, I'm trying to do the stuff. You know, I'm, I'm taking the baby steps. You know, I'm doing all of that, and I'm hoping I'm going to make it. The fact is, is that you can know you have eternal life. It is not worth living on a hope-so type faith. That's why Jesus, that's why I, I love this next passage. I'm so glad Thomas asked a question all, after all of that. You know, Thomas gets a lot of heat for, for doubting Thomas. But the fact is, he asked this question, and I... Uh, and in this, we see that Jesus is the way to paradise. You know, for some of us who, who don't know where they're going to spend eternity, if you don't know, then this is going to be, you're going to be so glad Thomas asked this question. So Jesus says to them after that, verses 1 to 3, go to verse 4. He says, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Now, let me just stop right there. Jesus just told him. Where was Jesus going? He just said. Where's he going? Do y'all remember? You bunch of Thomases. (laughs) He's going to his father's house, right? He's going to go prepare a place. You remember that? He just said that. Thomas says, we don't know where you are going. 
How do we know the way? God bless Thomas. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, first of all, let me explain something real quick. When Jesus says, you, you know, the way where I'm going, Thomas knew where he was going. But the way, the way that Jesus was going was going to be different. The way Jesus was going in that verse 4 that he's talking about there is not, is, is not the same route that Thomas and the others. Jesus was going a unique route that only he could take. Jesus' way was the way of the cross. He was the only one who could take that way. He was the only one without sin who could go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins. You see, Jesus was opening the way to paradise. And he was taking the way of the cross so that our sins could be paid for, that penalty could be paid, that blood would be shed so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about, uh, 7, I'm sorry, it talks about this paradise of God. And uh, if you go back there and look, you don't have to do that right now, but if you go back there and look, it's to the church of Ephesus, and he's talking about, and to the church in Ephesus, those, you who overcome, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. I will grant for you to eat the tree of life in the paradise. Now, can anyone remember when we, when we really first see this little tree of life? Does anyone remember? Garden of Eden. Great. Y'all are really good. Garden of Eden. And what happened there was in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life, but Adam and Eve had sinned, right? And so they were, what, cast out of the garden. They were cast out of paradise, as some would call it. Milton wrote, paradise lost. And so this paradise, they were cast out of. And let me just read to you in Genesis what it says. It says, so he, that's God, drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. And the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So he put the cherubim there so that people couldn't get in. In other words, the way was closed. Adam and Eve had left the Garden of Eden, and there was no way to get back in there as much as they would have wanted to. They could not get back into paradise. It was closed, closed, closed. But then Jesus came. You see, Jesus opened the way to the tree of life. Jesus was the way. Now that paradise had been lost, now it is available to those who will receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now there is a way to the tree of life. Now there is a way to paradise. Now I want you to know something, though. Jesus says he is the way. Jesus doesn't say he is a way, right? In fact, what you will hear right now today, if, if you watch TV, if you're in this world, in this culture right now, they, they will talk about, well, you know, you want to be a Christian, and well, that's your truth. 
But everybody else has their own truth. I mean, whether it's the, the Hindus who have a million gods, and they're very sincere, and they, they worship those gods, and they say, that's, that's their truth. They're good. Or, or the Buddhists who have the, like the eightfold path to get to nirvana, and, uh, and that's their truth, and, and that's good. Or, or the uh, Muslims who have the five pillars that they have to follow and, and, and obey, and, and that's their truth. And everybody has their truth. They're all equal. They're all good. The more, most important thing is that you just be sincere in whatever you believe, and that's your truth. And that's what the world likes to promote today. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker, Coexist? That is a perfect illustration of what the world would want us to think like. But Jesus does not allow that. He makes it clear. I am the way. The way. No one comes into the Father except by me. That's it. Now, honestly, I don't think, could be wrong, I don't think I'm speaking to too many Buddhists this morning or Hindus or Muslims. But I'll be honest with you. If there's anything that keeps me up at night, if there's anything that really concerns me about this church, this group here that I love, is that there are people here who have a false sense of security because someone told them something, they, they, uh, that uh, you pray this prayer, you're good, whatever, and they got a false sense of security. I mean, we've got, there are people who, quite honestly, they come to church, they live their life that way on Sunday morning, the rest of the, the, the week, they live their life based on what really pleases them. In fact, think about, you know, the Bible says to examine our faith. Think about yourself. How do you live your life during the week, that is? Are you living it with the thought of what pleases Christ? Or are you living it with, well, what pleases me? Right? Many people, they, they don't even open up the Word of God during the week. <laughs> Because what pleases them is to do something else. But Jesus said, man not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the truth is, if you're living a self-ruled life, you better examine whether you are even in the faith or not. And that's what concerns me more than anything. Is that people have this thought that, that I prayed a prayer, that I got baptized, I got wet, that I'm okay. And those things will not get you to heaven. Let me, let me just give you an illustration from my own life. Middle school, I can tell you, I believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believed that he was buried, and I believed that he rose again the third day. I believed that. One day, we had a pastor come by my house. I don't know why he came by, but he came by. And he looked at me and said, son... Do you want to go to heaven? Now you would think a middle schooler is going to say. <laughs> now I really I want to die and burn in hell. Is that okay? <laughs> now I said, and I was sincere. No, I, I, I want to go to heaven. And he said, pray this prayer. And I got down on my knees, a lost young man prayed that prayer that he told me to pray, the sinner's prayer, and got up from there just as lost as I went down. You say, how can that be? Because I want, when I got up, I was, you know who I was thinking about? I was thinking about me. 
I think, you know, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. I can't wait till this pastor leaves. That was my first thought. My first thought wasn't like, hallelujah, Jesus saved me. It wasn't my thought at all. And from that point on, you know what I did? I lived a life based upon what? What pleases me. What I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted it. It was all my life revolved around me. And what I'm asking you to do is examine yourself. The day in and day out of your life, is Christ the center of it or are you the center of it? And if Christ is the center of it, I'm telling you, you know that. There's no doubt in your mind. Because you're living for him, you love him, you want to please him. Every day you are thinking about him. Not a day goes by that Jesus is not on your heart and mind because you want to live this life for him. You're opening up the word of God because you want to know what he has to say to you. You're spending time because you have a relationship. But people think because I do this or do that, that that's going to get me to heaven. It won't. Jesus talks about those people who said, man, I cast out demons and I healed people and I did all this. And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me for I never knew you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He's the way. None of this other stuff is the way. He is the way. But what does that mean when we say he is the way? Well, just basically what I've been saying. It means that we are no longer living a self-ruled life, but a Christ-ruled life. That's called repentance. Jesus talked about how important repentance was from the very beginning. In fact, the first message of John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist's message? We've been learning this in life group. What was it? Repent. Very good. Y'all been listening. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus followed that up with his message, his first message, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think that we're together on that, don't you? In fact, later on, Jesus would say, except you repent, except you repent, you all likewise perish. Now, what is repentance? It's a change of mind. Well, you could say it's a, it's a change of, of ownership, a change of leadership. It goes from a point of where I'm no longer the one who is Lord of my life, the boss of my life, and Jesus is the boss of my life. It means like a turning, like I'm going this direction, my way, and I turn and I go the Jesus way. Jesus is Lord. But the problem is, and my concern is, so many people are just fooled on that. I don't want you to be, I want you to take this more to examine your life. How do you live it? The first thing we have to recognize is that a self-ruled life is flat-out sin. It's rebellion. Jesus is Lord. The Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is going to happen for every single person. But it would be better for it to happen now for you to be saved, to confess Jesus is Lord. But to live a self-ruled life is rebellion. It is sin. To live a life revolved around you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, that's not just talking about a physical death. That's talking about an eternal death. It's talking about death where you are separated from God, not in paradise with him forever, but you're separated from him in a place called hell. That is the wages of a self-ruled life. That's what you get. That's what the payment is. But God, he wanted to show his love. So what does he do? He sends Jesus. Jesus is truly the face of God's love. But God, he demonstrates his love 
towards you. In that while you were yet sinners, you were still living a self-ruled life. Christ died for you. See, now the way is open. Because he died and paid the penalty for your sins, <coughs> because he's done that, now you can have your sins forgiven. They placed him in a tomb three days later. What happened? Glory, he rose from the dead. And now, defeating death, he offers to you eternal life. That's why the Bible says, oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? They're gone. Jesus has defeated them. So he offers you forgiveness and eternal life. So how do we receive that? Well, remember, Jesus, Jesus is the way. He is the way. So it starts very basic. The Bible says, confess Jesus as Lord. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. In other words, who's not Lord in your life anymore? Me. That's right. You confess. You make a, you put a stake in the ground. And you say, no longer am I following my own desires and pleasures, the desires of the flesh. I am turning to Jesus Christ. My desire from here on out is to serve him. You make that surrender decision. And then it says that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So you believe, like Jesus said, you believe in Yahweh, believe in me. You believe, and then you repent from a self-ruled life to a Christ-ruled life. Now, here's the thing. I know some of you are hearing this and saying, look, I know I know that I'm saved, but some of you here right now, if you're honest, just, just you and God right now, you say, I'm not sure. Or you'd say, look, I know if I were to actually die right now or Jesus were to come, I wouldn't make it. God, y'all are the one I'm speaking to. You don't have to live like that. There is nothing better in this world, nothing better in this world than living for Jesus Christ. There's no greater joy, there's no greater hope, there's no greater purpose than living for him. And this morning, you can make that decision. You can drive that stake into the ground. What I'd like to do is if everybody just close your eyes and bow, bow your heads for just a second. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. And uh, I don't want anyone looking. I just want you to feel... The, uh, the assurance, the security just to do this. But I want to, I first of all, ask you this question. How many here would say, I know that I know that I know that if I were to die right here on this spot, I know that I would be in paradise with God forever. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I know where I'm going. Okay, many hands raised. Many hands not raised. Go ahead and put them down. Now, for you who didn't raise your hand, you, let me just say, you don't have to live like that. You do not. God's promises are true. His desire, his overwhelming desire shown by the cross is he wants to save you. He loves you. But you have to be willing to do a couple things. One, you have to be willing to admit that, man, I've blown it. I've lived a self-ruled life, but I want to change. I want forgiveness. And then you have to be willing to surrender to him. Surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and you believe that to the point that you want to surrender to him as your Lord. 
And you want to nail that down this morning. You want to nail it down. No more playing games. No more living like a wishy-washy life. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I'm going to nail it down. And if that's you this morning, you say, this morning, I want to drive that stake in the ground, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, raise your hand this morning so I can see it. Raise it up high where I can see it. I see you in the middle, in the middle, good. Anyone else? In the balcony, anybody? Raise your hand. I see you in the back. God bless you. Anyone else? I see you over to the right. Anyone else? I want to stop playing games. This is the morning. I want to nail it down to surrender my life to Christ. I see you, young lady, right there on the left. God bless you. Anyone else? Okay, for those of you who raise your hand, this is what I want you to do. You know the decision you've made. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but remember... It's not the prayer that says, it's not the ma- this prayer is not magic words. You have to pray this from your heart to God. You have to mean it. You have to say it from your heart to Him. I'll lead you in a prayer, but don't just repeat the words. That's what I did when I was young. I want you to say them. I want you to pray them from your heart to God right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose again the third day. And at this very moment, I turn away from a self-ruled life. And I turn completely to Jesus Christ. I surrender my life to Jesus right now. And I ask you to save my soul. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me. If you prayed that prayer, then according to the very promise of the king of the universe, he's forgiven you. He saved you. You have eternal life. But this is what I want you to do. you got to let us know because you are on the beginning of a very important journey, a new journey. Do not let this slip by. You either fill out a connect card and put on there, I pray to receive Christ, or even better, I'm going to be down here in the front. And I would love it if you would come to me and simply say, this morning I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you up on stage or nothing like that. But I want to pray for you. And I want to help you. And so do one of those things. Put it on that connect card or come speak to me, which would even be better. Now for the rest of you, some of you may be needing peace. That really spoke to you. And right now you feel like, like kind of like I felt like in the Congaree Swamp. You feel like you're walking through the bog, through the clay. Can't get your footing. The altar is going to be open for you. Or maybe there's people you know that, that you love and they're heavy on your heart and you want to intercede for them this morning. The altar will be open for you. I'm going to pray and then we'll all stand. 
um, and then the altar's open. The Holy Spirit's leading you. Please come to the altar and pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the assurance that we have that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the assurance that we have that the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sins. And that we can be saved from those sins because of your great love for us. Father, I pray for those who have committed their lives to Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that they would make that known. You say you can, if we confess you before men, you'll confess us before your Father is in heaven. Help them to do that. And Lord, for the others, right now, they're just carrying heavy burdens, cares on their heart. God, I pray you'd help them to cast those down right here at your feet. Let you carry them as they trust you. But whatever reason you have people to come, I pray they would come. They would follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.